It's time for our weekly discussion on life and faith and uh, answer your questions and here to answer them is David Ray. David's the author of LifeWords Daily Devotional which is a, a daily email put out through hope1032.com.au and also he answers your questions on the LifeWords Q&A podcast. G'day David. G'day Andrew. Well we've got another three questions today. Uh, we're looking at how long should I pray each day? Probably not long enough. Uh, no, that's just a joke. Uh, also, someone in my church has told me that wearing a cross is a sort of idolatry and Jesus interceding for us in heaven. What does it mean? But first, David, prayer and how long should we pray? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, there's no real answer to that. I mean, I mean, really, how long should I pray? The Bible doesn't say thou shalt pray for 10 minutes or thou shalt pray for 90 minutes or something like that. So there's, in one sense, there's no real clear answer to that. But let, let's let's... Let's sort of explore the issue a bit. Jesus warns us against piling up words or showing off in prayer. So he seems to be warning us a little bit about saying, hey, don't don't measure prayer in the wrong way. And I think that can include boasting about how long we pray. Um, for example, some per- person might say, right, between six and seven, I close myself off in a room and pray. And you might say, wow, that person prays for an hour. They might pray for five minutes and the rest of the 55 minutes might be just wandering thoughts and all sorts of things. Um, I know when I was at college, many people used to sort of ask me and ask, ask one another, how, how long do you study each day? Well, well, I could be in my study in my room for six hours every day, but I mean, I might have done about six minutes worth of studying in that time. So, you know... It, it, it's hard to measure just how much we pray because others might pray at various times during the day and that actually mounts up, whereas they don't spend a lot of extended time in one session. So one person might say, well, I pray for five minutes before I have my breakfast. But then again, they might be praying for a whole lot of other five minutes during the day, whereas someone else might say, no, I devote myself for 30 minutes before breakfast every day. Uh, and so it all adds up to the same thing. I think you've got to guard against legalism, which leads to pride or formalism. Suppose I say I'm going to pray for an hour each day. Well, that can be a helpful helpful discipline, uh, or it could be a mere target which leads to clock watching, right? Look at my clock at six o'clock, you know, I'll look at the clock and whoops, seven o'clock I finish praying. It can become a little bit mechanical. But but in contrast to that, guard against an over-casual view of prayer because any relationship takes time to develop. And I would never say that the amount of time you spend in prayer is irrelevant. Um, it, it, no, it's not. It's not irrelevant because time is needed to develop relationship, and you spend time with those who matter to us. So, if you don't spend time with God, then what you're saying is I, my relationship with God doesn't matter that much. But measuring that time, well, that's that's very very different thing. So, I'd say seek to spend enough time with God each day that you allow Him to guide your thinking, you allow yourself to reflect on Him and His Word to you. But trying to put a specific uh, number on that time or a specific number of minutes or hours, I, I would be reluctant to do. I would simply say, make sure that each day you set aside some time to be with God, not just simply to rattle off a list of shopping list prayers, but to hear him, to reflect on his word and so on. For some people, that might mean a certain amount of time. For other people, another amount of time. We live in, uh, well, it's often said we live in a time-poor kind of culture these days. We, we've got kids to get ready for school. We've got things. We've got work, all that kind of stuff. 
And often, I guess, sometimes prayer and Bible study and all that kind of stuff can be uh, pushed to, well, forgotten about, either pushed to the side, or we just don't have time. We feel guilty. We look at someone I remember at uni, David, uh, I think it was Yongi Cho. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'd hear yeah, that oh, he famous. was, he, yeah, he would be praying for 12 hours a day. I think, wow, 12 hours of the day. I'm not worthy. Uh, but uh, anyway, that aside, what is the benefits how, for you? What's your experience been with prayer and how has it enhanced or changed or, you know, your walk with God? Okay, just first of all, just commenting on the Yongi Cho sort of illustration too. I think we've all had this experience of people telling us, well, look at um, Yongi Cho, look at at John Wesley, look at um, St. Augustine or something. Uh, Please, these people have different lifestyles and if a particular pastor or a monk wants to pray for that amount of time, good on them. But a young single mum raising three kids, uh, they live in a different world. And I would never want to... I, I admire the monks in the monastic orders and so on who are devoted to prayer. That's wonderful. But we are not monks. We're not in monastic yeah. orders generally. We have to account... We, we have to realise that, 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 that we have our own lifestyle. But in terms of my own pattern of prayer, I'm very not happy to admit, but I'm uncomfortably admitting that my, my prayer model constantly needs to be reviewed. But I think that what where I'm weak in my understanding or my practice of prayer, Andrew, is that to have that more reflective, longer-term prayer. I, I, I've tried to adopt a pattern over my life of having uh, monthly quiet days and occasional longer two- or three-day retreats. Now, sadly, that can become... You, you can neglect that practice, but I've always found in general, in principle, that to have occasional longer extended periods of time with God, daily times with God, which... Um, uh, are, are, are specifically and intentionally focused to sit down and say, right, God, this time is for you, you and me, whether it's reading the scriptures, reflecting on devotional material and so on and so on. But then my my prayers are also throughout the day. I, I, I'm wary of people who say, oh, well, I have my quiet time, that's it, close my Bible, that's the end of prayer. But I'm also wary of people who say, well, I don't have my regular time of devotion I just simply pray when I feel like it I, I'm a little bit wary of that too because I think that can become and have a very narrow view of prayer which is focused on my own immediate needs rather than the needs of others I believe that um, prayer that prayer is somehow a barometer of my relationship with God if I just become very um, as it were narrow and undisciplined in my prayers then I feel that says something about my relationship with God Whenever I pray, whether it's out loud, in church, beyond church, in my quiet time, another time during the day, whenever I pray, what I'm fundamentally saying is, God, I cannot live without you. And I want to helplessly depend on you. And prayer, if you see prayer as that uh, expression of helpless dependence on God, then I think you can't go far wrong and since I'm constantly helplessly dependent on God, I, I am, as it were, constantly praying. Uh, there's an undercurrent of my life that I'm constantly praying uh, to God. God, I'm helplessly dependent on you. And that's how I come back to it. I, I, I've long since given up, Andrew, this concept of prayer is I want this, so I'm going to pray for it and I hope I get it. I've given up on that. Not, not that I think God doesn't give, give me things, not not at all, or not that I don't ask for things. God says to ask for things. But that's not the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is me sharing my heart with God. This is what I would love. This is what I would like to happen, God. 
But at the same time, I surrender it all to you. I relinquish these people, this particular situation to you. And I want you, God, to speak into my life so as to align my heart and will more with yours. So instead of prayer being a mere sort of shopping list of this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, that's part of prayer. But the essence of it beneath all that is, God, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. But in the end, God, I surrender my life to you. Please guide my thinking, my desires, my wishes, my dreams, and so on, so they are more aligned with you. Thanks, David. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, and it's a weekly podcast. You can download episodes from iTunes or from the hope1032.com.au website. Our second question, David, is someone in my church told me that my wearing a cross was sort of idolatry. I love wearing it, but I don't want to offend. What should I do? Well, it's interesting. I, I, I've actually had someone in a church that I was pastoring raise this very issue. It may be that this is this very person raising the question. I don't know. Very bluntly, go on wearing the cross. Don't let them tell you otherwise, if I can just be as blunt as that. I assume it's an empty cross, and I assume it's not so ornate as to be a distraction. You see, this is business business of not causing offence to other people is a bit of a tricky one. Uh, we ought not to cause unnecessary offence to others, but there are times we have to stick to our guns. There are times, the Bible talks about the offence of the cross, for example. There are times when we have to stick to things which might be offensive. And we aren't to let others dictate to us, especially when I believe that this church person is mistaken about the cross. You see, honestly, I, I wear a cross when I'm on duty, as it were, at church. I wear a little plain wooden cross. And some people have raised their eyebrows at that and said, hmm, wearing a cross. My response to that is, well, duh. I'm, first of all, I'm a Christian minister. Uh, number two, it's a, it's a symbol. The empty cross is a symbol of my faith. Now, then when people say, oh, can it become an idol? Well, I tell you what, I've been in ministry for well over 30 years now, public ordained church leadership, and I've never, ever once discovered that happening in practice that anyone's worshipped a cross. I've never had it. It may may happen in some far corner of some church somewhere, but I've never seen it happen in practice because the empty cross is an eloquent and obvious reminder of the death and resurrection of Jesus and what's central to our faith. If someone says, oh, remove it from the church or yourself because I find it to be an idol, I'd say that's your problem. Now, I won't say it quite as crudely as that, but I'd say that is a problem you have to resolve and I'm not going to resolve it for you by removing the cross from the church or from my person. Wearing such an obvious symbol of faith cannot be seen as offending someone unnecessarily. It might offend them, but I think it offends them because I believe they are on the wrong track. And as I say, I have never, ever, ever yet met anyone who has looked at a cross and succumbed to idolatry. There may be people, but in 30-odd years of ministry, ministering to thousands of people, never struck it. So when these people say, oh, uh, it's a sort of idolatry, I want to say, who? When? Where? Who? Who was seen as idolatry? Who, who is doing this? Are you seeing it as like, are you tempted to worship this cross? Well, I better have a serious talk with you. What, what's the nature of your faith? Uh, and so on. You see, I, I wonder if this objector is themselves prone to idolatry or whether they reckon any picture or symbol or icon is necessarily idolatrous. See, I think there's some traditions in the church, Andrew, that, that have in past centuries uh, put so much emphasis on the external, on the crosses, on the stained glass windows, on the icons, on the symbols, that yes, they could potentially become idolatrous. Yeah, I, I acknowledge that. Some people can worship a statue or someone. But I tell you what, I think that's still pretty rare. I think in, 
in, in traditions that I'm more familiar with, we don't have that problem, we, we perhaps um, uh, look at an idol in another direction. The Bible, for example. I think, sadly, I think a few Christians have an idolatrous view of the Bible, that they worship the Bible. Pictures, symbols, icons such as a cross can be very helpful symbols pointing us to Jesus. The Bible, very obviously, we've talked about before in these Q&As, a, a wonderful, indispensable way of getting to know Jesus. But to make them the final thing, the ultimate thing, is to succumb to idolatry. So uh, anything can become idolatrous, but I don't think we've got to give up the Bible just because some people may worship that. I don't think we should give up wearing crosses just because people should. Uh, some people might be tempted to idolatry. I'd want to say that, look, let's not become so word-centred, so intellectual in our faith that we lose the sight of symbol, lose sight of the power of symbol and metaphor in our churches. I think, sadly, some churches went overboard on the symbol and metaphor, but some churches sadly go to the other extreme and do away with all that. I think some people relate to God more helpfully through symbols and icons and pictures and so on, and others relate more to him through the written word. And I think we have to accept that. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. G'day, I'm Andrew Morris. It's our weekly discussion about issues of life and faith. They're your questions. If you've got a question that uh, may have uh, been uh, yeah, brought up by just that discussion on uh, the cross and crosses, you can email David, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Our last question, David, is the Bible says that Jesus is interceding for us in heaven. What does it mean? Well, firstly, what it doesn't mean. I don't think it means Jesus getting on his knees each and every time we sin and pleading that God forgive us. I mean, I think that's that's a that's a that boggles the imagination to think of that. But I think sometimes Christians think might might actually mistakenly think that that um, David Ray sinned at eleven o'clock in the morning, so Jesus is down on his knees saying to God, "Oh, please forgive him." Then three minutes past eleven, "Oh, please forgive him, please forgive him, please forgive him." I, I think that's rather nonsensical. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it was a once-for-all matter. And when I turn to him by faith and have faith in what Jesus did on the cross, its, its efficacy, its validity, its necessity, all that, then I'm forgiven. Now, when we sin, as we do, we don't have to get Jesus to forgive us all over again by pleading with God. I don't believe that when I sin that Jesus immediately says, oh, here he goes again, oh, Father, please forgive him. I'm already forgiven. Mm. I'm in Christ. It happened 2,000 years ago. That's right, that's right, that's right. Uh, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm justified, as the Bible says. I'm put right with God through faith. Uh, so I don't have to get Jesus to forgive me all over again by pleading with God. Oh, here he goes again. Oh, God, um, you know, Andrew Morris just sinned this time. Oh, whoop, David Ray's at it again. And, and, you know, getting on his knees sort of thing. No, no, no. But the Bible does say, yes, 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 he is at God's right hand interceding for us. So, so yes, what does it mean? Well, uh, I said what it doesn't mean, but I suspect what it means is simply the very fact that Jesus is present at the right hand of God, which is the position of supreme privilege and authority, of course, that is there at that position of honour, which means that he is accepted by God, that God has got Jesus there at the right hand, and it's God's way of saying what Jesus has done on earth by his life, death and resurrection, I've accepted it. So if David Ray, Andrew Morris, whoever it is, has put their trust in what my son has done, he's all right with me, thanks very much. And so what, what I think it's saying is not Jesus actually getting on his knees saying, oh, oh please, please, please forgive David or Andrew, whoever it is that sinned. Rather, the very fact that when David Ray, Andrew Morris, whoever it is, sins, God obviously is aware of the sin, 
but immediately there at his side, there is Jesus as a constant reminder to God the Father that in fact those sins are covered. Why are they covered? Because Jesus' death was the sacrifice, paid the penalty, however you put it. Jesus' death actually covered those sins. So Jesus' very presence at the right hand of God gives him a certain status and assures us of the validity of what he did on the cross. And it's it's a reminder, I shouldn't really put it like this way, it's a reminder to God, not that he does need reminding, of course, it's a reminder to God that those sins that had always been committed on earth by his followers are in fact covered by Jesus once for all death on the cross. Because you see, if, if that weren't the case, I think sadly we might wonder if our sins were forgiven whether God really accepted his death, whether Jesus was truly alive. So when I read in the scriptures that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding, I remember, ah, yes, yes, that's right. Um, Jesus was a perfectly acceptable sacrifice to God. Jesus actually is alive. He did rise again and has ascended to the right hand of God. And he's there, as it were, as a constant, perpetual reminder to God the Father that what he's done for me, for you, for anyone who trusts in him is effective for all time. Thanks, David. You've been listening to LifeWords Q&A and hope you've enjoyed those three questions. You can listen to this again and all the other uh, episodes of LifeWords Q&A from the iTunes store. You can subscribe and they'll come into your iTunes podcast uh, directory automatically. You can also just go and scroll and scan through all the previous episodes at hope1032.com.au and don't forget if you haven't subscribed to david's lifewords daily email you can do that as well until next time thank you for your company we'll speak to you soon